Welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Network and Edge Solutions Group. Hello and welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions brought to you by the Network and Edge Solutions Group at Intel. In this episode, we're going to explore the health effects of space travel, as well as trending use cases and the innovation enabled by Intel's Network and Edge Group. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Welcome to this episode of the show. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Shashi Jan, the Senior Strategic Innovation Manager at Intel. Shashi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you on. And we're also thrilled today to be joined by Dr. John Kalantari. He's the Chief Technology Officer at Eureka. Dr. John, welcome. Thank you, Tyler. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you on the show today. Well, guys, first and foremost, uh, Shashi, I want to know from you just a little bit more about this partnership. How did this partnership come about? How did you end up exploring uh, the, the health effects of on astronauts, of going into space, those sorts of things? So set the context and the scene for us uh, for this partnership and for this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it takes a little bit of storytelling to get us there. But over the last uh, six or seven years or so, we've been working with a public-private partnership called Frontier Development Lab that works with various space agencies, the SETI Institute, and commercial space and AI companies to apply modern AI techniques to big problems in space uh, exploration. It's structured as a eight-week research accelerator that pulls together the brightest in AI along with the brightest in these uh, various areas like planetary science, heliophysics, and uh, astronaut health now, of course, uh, to solve big problems in the space program. And really, for it's done for all of humankind. So uh, my role is as the partner on the Intel side. Uh, which means that I bring this money, some computational resources and mentors to the table to solve these big problems. And astronaut health was a really interesting and attractive problem to join into because, you know, I, number one, I was in the healthcare group at Intel and we were looking at pushing the boundaries of uh, edge computing and, you know, edge computing in or in, in space. That's, uh, what I call orbital edge, you know, that's that's the uh, furthest edge that I can think of. And we <laughs> partnered with uh, with John and his team to define a problem that made a lot of sense. Yeah, so Shashi said it well. So there's several challenges that sit at the interface of healthcare and astronaut health. And in my previous position as director of AI at one of the most preeminent healthcare institutions, we noticed that AI, when it comes to terrestrial medicine is suffering from the same challenges as astronaut health and space medicine. And one of those challenges being, you know, how do you apply AI in a real-time setting that serves to benefit our crews on long-duration missions so as to provide them with assistance in their decision-making and decision support? And the analog between what our clinicians here on Earth, you know, have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is something that we, we noticed that we needed to partner with. So the partnership with Intel uh, arose organically in that in my previous position as director of AI at the Mayo Clinic, we were already applying AI and machine learning in the healthcare space, um, specifically for clinical decision-making. However, you know, Mayo and many other health institutions have a deep-rooted history 
with astronaut health and space medicine going back into the 60s. And we revived that, that, that partnership with some of our North American European Space Agency partners to explore the gaps that exist in space medicine. And one of those areas being, how do you apply AI, you know, hundreds to thousands of miles away in, in deep space? And that led to reaching out to our partners such as Shashi at Intel to introduce their technology uh, into the fold. So then what, what are you guys seeing in terms of, uh, of, of health effects of space travel? Then uh, if this is something that you're looking into and, and studying and utilizing AI for this purpose, what is the data telling you? What is the information that you're receiving? John, start us off with that. So the risk that we think about when we consider long duration space flight missions are those that arise because we have no data or experience to kind of glean off of. So for low earth orbit, or trips to the space station, there are known dangers and known unknowns for which our, our space agencies and commercial partners are actively developing countermeasures. But when we think about deep space and long duration missions to, you know, destination like Mars, you know, we're talking about unknown unknowns of space medicine and its act, impact on astronaut health. And, you know, these potential dangers and risks, you know, range from something that wouldn't come to mind initially, something like the risk of renal stone formation. You know, why is that an issue? Well, today we don't have the capability to mitigate renal stones in spaceflight. And, you know, that, that might sound trivial, but having an impaired crew member on a long duration uh, mission, that affects the mission success and the performance of the crew members. And you know those risks carry on into other areas as well. You know the effects of deep space radiation, elevated CO two levels on immune response and dis and immune dysfunction. The immune system plays a critical role in our overall physiology. So having something that could impact it is is, is unimaginable. And then there's, you know, other, you know, other risks that space agencies and, and, you know, terrestrial health institutions are well aware of from current astronauts on, you know, past trips to the space station where they come back with some, you know, side effects of weightlessness, uh, one of which being spaceflight associated neuroocular syndrome or, or SANS which basically is changes in the eye and brain structure that results in swelling of the back of the eye. We know this exists. This is a known danger. It occurs in 70% of astronauts when they come back. You know, weightlessness causes blood and cerebral spinal fluid to shift toward the head, and that causes ventricular volume enlargement in the brain. It results in swelling of the optic nerve, folds in the retina, and what's the result? Vision becomes blurry. So, you know, that, that can impact mission success as well. So these are things that are not just issues that you have to think about in terms of chronic health, but, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the you know, final frontiers of space and, you know, we're only thinking about how do we get there, but there, there are many other variables involved. And then obviously, you know, one of the biggies that, you know, my lab and company have worked on 
you know, uh, in significant capacity with Intel is space radiation and the risk of radiation carcinogenesis. So the, 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 the risk that, you know, cosmic radiation poses on, you know, developing cancers in, in astronauts. So Shashi, fo- follow up on that and, and give us your perspective. So, you know, I think John covered it well uh, around what are the uh, dangers to the astronauts themselves and getting them into space and in these missions. You know, there's one discussion that I had some time ago about just understanding the long-term effects as well. So 50% of the astronaut corps going to the moon are going to be women. What is the effects, long-term effects on the reproductive systems or Uh, That's an open question. But part of what we did with this research challenge into astronaut health is to set up the systems needed to actually conduct that research. And one of the dangers of, of space travel from a health perspective that we don't talk about is data isolation. Even if we were to gather sufficient data to train AI algorithms, you know, coming from various spacecraft and various manned or crewed missions, rather, it's a very real problem that the data themselves are isolated and heavily protected because it's health information. So, you know, in order to train an AI, you need to bring all together, bring together all the data wherever it may exist into one spot and then, and then uh, use that to train the algorithms. In this case, the, the research that we've done with astronaut health allows you to take the algorithm and send it to the data itself. So it helps us mitigate these, effectively, the IT dangers of, uh, of space travel and uh, gathering health data to you know, improve the lives of uh, astronauts. It's called federated learning. So this is the contribution that Intel made to the challenge this year. But as we put more people into space, making sure that we have access to the data in a way that is privacy protecting is also a danger. We can't just build better silos as we move forward. So, John, how are the effects of space travel on astronauts currently being measured and and monitored at this moment? Great question. So the effects are being measured in a manner that almost mimics how we do biomedical research here on Earth. And it's through both observational data from astronauts and experimental data from animal studies. In the case of studying the effect of cosmic radiation, you know, we actively monitor astronauts' vitals before, during, and after missions for any abnormalities. And that is through, you know, different measurement devices like, you know, the commercial wearables that measure oxygen saturation, you know, pulse to, you know, recording your ECG, and then other samples that we get from blood and urine for post-secondary analysis. And we use, you know, this collection of data that we collect, you know, before, during, and after each mission to identify any prominent biomarkers that could be indicators of disease progression. And in a similar manner, you know, we send animals to space or perform experiments here on Earth that mimics the conditions that we anticipate our astronauts may face during long-duration space missions. So when we combine this, this data, it provides, in a way, a trove of high-definition data that we need to parse for causal factors. And this, this, has, this problem actually led to the partnership with Intel and integration of their federated learning framework, which allows us scientists and healthcare providers here on Earth to work with astronauts in, during space missions to, you know, 
analyze the data in real time, make predictions so that the the data doesn't have to, you know, bounce back to earth, but instead, you know, the the algorithm goes to where the data is. And that's that's the whole idea behind federated learning itself. Absolutely. And just to build on that a little bit, you know, think about the uh, the duration of the ISS and how long, you know, we've, we've had that. And as the new space industry opens up, there's going to be many more crewed missions and uh, more people living and working in space, which is just amazing to say, you know, to, to think that we're, we'll, we'll be able to see that. But we've got to be able to um, protect them and uh, treat them as health concerns come up. So it's really important in three ways that uh, that Intel is able to help here. So we're not actually g- gathering the data and doing the analysis. We're providing the compute platforms on that. Today, most of the uh, data has to come down from the spacecraft and uh, or the stations and uh, be processed here on Earth. But you know, moving forward, there we would want to do the analysis in situ on uh, the platform, compute platforms available where the astronauts are so that we can process and identify um, the, the issues in real time, or at least as near real time as possible, but also in a privacy protecting way. One of the big things that we haven't said yet right now is also that when you're in orbit, even at the ISS, it's very costly to transmit data down to the Earth. So there's a lot of work being done right now to, to make sure that there's uh, enough compute horsepower in orbit to do the uh, AI processing needed to protect the astronauts. So, you know, speed protection, communication, uh, latency are, are these things that, that are the problems to solve for right now so we can do the diagnostics and so that the people who are qualified can do the diagnostics. So I'll, I'll add in one thing on top of what, what, what Shashi just mentioned. So the, the partnership with Intel didn't occur, you know, out of thin air. So Intel's federated learning framework was already being applied here on earth with multiple healthcare institutions where this data silo problem already existed, where each institution has its own data and individually, you know, these are pieces of a puzzle for understanding different diseases, but collectively when used together for different machine learning applications, they provide a lot of, you know, increased sample size that improves the prediction abilities of an algorithm. And so that naturally fit in with within the context of astronaut health, where we have siloed data on the space station, on the shuttle, along with partners, healthcare institutions here on Earth at mission support that have already collected data, but the latency issues that may exist in transmitting that data from one data server that's you know performing analyses to another is something that it will be very difficult to overcome when we're talking long duration missions. So federated learning allows us to overcome that that challenge and building off, you know, a, a tri- tried and true test case that Intel and its healthcare partners have already been successful in demonstrating. So John, what, what's the nature of the astronaut health challenge uh, that you're applying all of this to? So the the challenge arose from a previous project that my team worked on with our space partner uh, which looked at how to best use this combined data as input to machine learning algorithms in order to fill in the gaps in our knowledge on what causes disease progression specifically uh, cancer 
And the challenge that we faced, and we faced, you know, not only in this astronaut health challenge, but, you know, in most healthcare applications is that the science of AI and machine learning when applied to precision medicine is still in its infancy, meaning that astronaut health is not a big data problem for which deep learning is, you know, the easiest solution. You know, we, we have a tremendous amount of data granularity at a given time point, but we don't have a collection of several time points overall. And so what that means is that we have to come up with clever workarounds, uh, which, you know, led to the, the project that we worked on with Intel, specifically federating a platform that we built called the Causal Relation Inference Search Platform, which basically applies a type of machine learning methodology known as causal machine learning, where the idea is to identify causal relationships and causal factors that underlie the data. And the specific challenge title in 2021 was uh, causal inference for out of distribution generalization. A lot of words, but basically meaning, can you identify what the cause and effect relationships are in, in data that exists across you know, different data distributions? Data, different data distributions, meaning different locations, data that's from different demographics. And this is you know, something that as uh, Shashi alluded to earlier, this is something that exists, you know, uh, not only on Earth, when talking about AI should be bias-free and fair. So uh, an algorithm that we develop in, you know, Southeast Minnesota that is trained on a primarily Caucasian cohort, it is not going to be great for, you know, a low resource setting in, you know, Bangladesh or Southside Chicago. Similarly, when we're talking about applying machine learning in, in space, you know, we need to work with the data that's spanning multiple locations. And so having an algorithm that is able to work with that type of data requires us to work with frameworks like federated learning that utilize this idea of, from the get-go of your data is in different locations, it has different origins, different distributions, how do you best learn the the causal relationships and not the spurious correlations? Hmm. Yeah, uh, just to build on this, I, I think uh, just a little bit of the technical aspect is that these this is not just one Uber algorithm. It's a collection or a constellation of several algorithms that are working together to identify these factors. And we can we can start with the research, but translating that research into a tool that is usable is also a big problem in and of itself. So. When you train um, in this constellation of algorithms, how do you measure that? Uh, how do you get them individually trained and then brought back together and measure that they're getting progressively better? Boy, that to wherever they're needed, whether it's here on the ground, in orbit, or in deep space. You know, those are those are all big problems. And I like to think that the uh, you know us asking these questions this early will allow us to. Uh, make these tools applicable as more and more government and uh, com and commercial missions happen. So CRISP, the causal relation inference search platform, was applied to both rodent data that was used as a homolog of human radiation data. So here the, the issue at hand was there's not as much astronaut health data as there is animal-based data. Mm -hmm. But the question that we try to tackle here was, well, is there a way that we can combine that data 
and make useful inferences out of it, fill in the gaps in our knowledge using machine learning to identify the causal relationships. And so in the federated learning sense, the way we framed the problem was we have silo data, animal data from our space agency partners that they collected for the past few decades that they're sitting in multiple different databases across the country, across the world. And then we as a healthcare institution have a, a data lake, you know, spanning the past, you know, century. Is there a way that, you know, we can utilize both of these amazing data sets without, you know, you know, compromising patient health information in, in a privacy preserving way. And, you know, spoiler, we were able to do that combining our CRISP platform with Intel's federated learning. Fantastic stuff. So John, a couple of different times you've mentioned how you are kind of taking some of the same things that you're doing in terms of a studying kind of perspective on earth and applying that as well to, to space. Is that working in the inverse as well? Some of the technologies and some of the ways that you are learning things about the effects on astronaut health, can that be then turned around and also applied back to how we're studying certain diseases or, or issues, health issues just for the, the normal population here on earth? Absolutely. Absolutely. So machine learning and advanced statistical models have become a part of every bioinformaticians toolkit in the past decade, you know, and this is being used for predicting mutational signatures that arise from radiation exposure, you know, here on earth, but it can easily be applicable to, you know, in the astronaut health setting from cosmic radiation, not just, you know, solar radiation that we, that we experience from going outside without suntan lotion. But the research from, you know, my group, and, and others has begun to shine a light on the fact that it's not just, you know, our, our genes that, that are affected by, by radiation. You know, there's a growing number of machine learning researchers who are developing AI models and algorithms that incorporate multi-omic data in their analyses in order to better understand the impact of space radiation on human pathology. So we share the same challenges here on Earth that can be applied to better understand, you know, the predispositions of astronauts uh, before they go into space. As I was listening to John speak, it, it reminded me of actually something entirely different, and that was uh, carbon fiber and Kevlar. Here's a technology that uh, was first used, these composites were first used to make uh, spacecraft parts by NASA to reduce weight uh, and, and to make spacecraft uh, more resilient you know, to the stressors of launch and being in space. And now we use carbon fiber and Kevlar daily, whether to protect, uh, you know, our police officers or to make uh, parts for race cars or even to uh, make prosthetics. Uh, there's tons of use for these technologies. It makes me wonder if, if you know, for the, for the AIs that we're developing, which are admittedly, as John said, in their, in their uh, infancy, where can we apply them once they've been uh, built and trained for astronaut health? You know, certainly we can think to the next closest thing to an astronaut, which is an, an airline pilot or a fighter pilot. They, uh, they fly high enough that they get a higher radiation exposure. But what about power plant workers? What about people in disadvantaged areas that are exposed to, you know, environmental stressors that are similar to radiation? I'm, I'm sure with enough additional research into, trans, you know, translational research, 
that we can find applications. And I'm really curious as to how entrepreneurs and uh, scientists will find the right applications here. So Shashi, as you, as you think about this technology and see the different applications and, and, you know, kind of building off of what you just said, where are you most excited to continue to see this growing forward as we continue to progress? You know, uh, I, I like to think in, uh, in terms of science fiction and where we could go with, with things like this, clearly the most direct line of sight would be automating some of the decision-making and, you know, the medical processes uh, for the astronauts. As we expand out towards the moon and to Mars, you know, there's there's going to be need for, you know, careful monitoring of the astronauts. You know, I like to think of this in terms of uh, like this automated doctors you, you'll see in science fiction, where, you know, there's so many different examples of that. But I'm really kind of most intrigued by, you know, expanding the breadth of the, the, the algorithms that are being used uh, together to identify early cancers, but also to, you know, the other applications that are hard to diagnose. I think, you know, John and I were discussing the other day about how this could be applied to rare and hereditary diseases, which themselves come, you know, in constellations or they just, they they often appear together. And if the, the technology that we've built here could be applied to make it easier for doctors and for people who don't have readily ready access to doctors to detect and identify uh, these rare and hereditary diseases. You know, if we can solve big problems like that for people, this uh, technology and the investment would be all worth it. And, I, you know, being at Intel, I've got to talk about the, the technology side. I, I wonder how, you know, as these algorithms grow, if, as the, the data size grow, if uh, we can keep up with it and, you know, develop wearables that, uh, that do this diagnosis in real time or assist with decision-making in real time. I think that'd be amazing. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. John, uh, same question. Uh, just where do you see things continuing to grow and move forward and what excites you about the future? Well, I think if we pursue challenges like this one, uh, which have potential benefits, you know, for terrestrial healthcare for our everyday humans here on earth, as well as for, for astronauts that, you know, are, you know, endeavoring the, you know, beyond our wildest dreams, the final frontiers of space. You know, I, I think that these type of problems, they need to be explored, but just as importantly, they need to be tested and validated here on earth before we send them up to space. And, you know, the, the problems, exist here on earth that we can try them on and test them through. So the federated learning example is, is on point where, you know, we have this data isolation problem. We have this challenge maintaining privacy of our patients at multiple locations, but we benefit from training our algorithms across a diverse data set. And this challenge has its, has its analog for you know, sending our algorithms up to space in a different location. So, for me, I, you know, I think about you know the the potential, you know, the potential benefits that working on these algorithms have on decision making. Period. Decision making for clinicians. Decision making for flight surgeons and and crew team members. So, uh, John, as you were saying that, it, it made me think of you know an individual and being there. Uh, agency over their own health data, you know, I could see this going forward on the idea of a, a federation. If, you know, there, if you can contribute your own health data 
and uh, get access to the you know the power of these algorithms for your own healthcare your own, in here on earth that would be a powerful thing so we could get the data that we need to train these algorithms and uh, do good here on earth but also do our best to protect our astronauts uh, that are that are out there pushing the boundaries and uh, you know where where mankind can go and and uh, and do great things Excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, amazing things going on in this world of uh, of astronaut health and uh, and the work that uh, that you two are doing uh, in this partnership. It's it's fantastic to learn about, guys. As we begin to wrap up this episode, I want to give each of you the opportunity just to give us a final thought. What do you want listeners to walk away with and understand after they've checked out this episode of the show? So, uh, Shashi, I'm going to kick it to you first, just for any final thoughts that you have. Anything you want the listeners to walk away with here today? So I'm going to answer that question in, in, in three parts here. The first is if uh, you're at all interested in understanding what, uh, you know, more details about how federated learning was applied to astronaut health and space technology, please visit the Intel website and do a search for uh, astronaut health. It'll come right up. If you're a postdoc or a PhD student that wants to participate in this kind of research moving forward, you can do so. Absolutely uh, take a look at frontierdevelopmentlab.org. That's that public-private partnership that I had spoken to earlier in the podcast. And uh, there will be an application both uh, here in the U.S. and in Europe. So please do uh, take a look at that, and uh, you can participate in the research yourself. The third thing is if you're not a Ph.D. or a postdoc, uh, but you may be in corporate innovation, Know that you can take your tools and your technology and apply them to these big problems through public-private partnership. There's many ways to do so. And if uh, you're at all interested in that, uh, please do connect with me on LinkedIn and we can uh, have a chat. Excellent stuff. Dr. Kalantari, uh, wrap us up. Uh, any final thoughts? What do you want to leave listeners with here today? I hope the the main takeaway that listeners have after listening to Shashi and I talk about, you know, the the wild ride and challenges that we try to tackle with our astronaut health challenge opens audience members ears and eyes to the potential of AI beyond what you hear about in, you know, commercial literature and, and press in terms of what's possible with AI when you think about collaborations and partnerships through non-traditional means like this private public partnership. But with that said, you know, the success of these type of platforms is is highly dependent on the on the interdisciplinary team that you build. And so we were very lucky in that Intel and our various space agency partners brought you know the best of the best to help curate and select the best models and, and data to build this platform to be successful. But one word of caution, when you are working in AI that has, that has high stakes attached to it, like healthcare, like space medicine, and that is with the exponential trends in AI means there's gonna be a lot of options out there. And so you need to be careful in curating which models you, you, you end up implementing so that you are deploying responsible and trustworthy AI. Because this is different than you know, a recommendation engine to help you choose you know, the best shoes. This, this has you know, real world uh, impl implications. 
and there's just not enough AI researchers tackling this challenge. So if you're interested, I, I echo Shashi's message, reach out and take part in this Frontier Development Lab project and any upcoming challenges, and feel free to reach me at eureka.com, spelled Y-R-I-K-K-A. That is Y-R-I-K-K-A, eureka.com. Like John mentioned, Shashi Jan and Dr. John Kalantari, y'all, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today and sharing a little bit more about the challenges faced um, by astronauts in space travel, the astronaut health challenges uh, as a result. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you guys here on the podcast. Likewise. Thank you for having us. Likewise. Absolutely. And I want to thank our audience for tuning into another episode of Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. It's brought to you by the Network and Edge Solutions Group at Intel. So to hear the latest thought leadership from Intel, subscribe to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge. Stay up to date with every new episode. Thank you once again for joining us. We'll see you again soon.